Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best of the best to help you scale your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today, we have a very special guest. His name is Rich Robinson, Cisnet advisor, entrepreneur, keynote speaker, professor, and investor based in China. Richard, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks, Mike. So we are living very special time, this pandemic uh, crisis. Uh, you, are, you are in the epicenter where it all started and you are kind of 12 weeks uh, ahead of uh, the rest of the world. I know that today you have moved for Happy New Year to, um, to Bali, so you are not uh, still in China, but you have been living in China and you are living in China for the last uh, 24 years. So we can't wait to get to know what about your uh, experience uh, for the Chinese market and also your career as an entrepreneur and giving some insights on how to, to face this, uh, this pandemic uh, across the world. So, but first let's get to know uh, who is Rich Robinson. So who is Rich? Rich Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> I'm indeed uh, Rich Robinson and I am a, uh, a China addict. I've been there for most of my um, adult life. I uh, grew up in Boston, studied at USC in Los Angeles, and then spent five years in Europe, uh, studied at Cambridge University, got my MBA there. But then in 93, I took the train. I went overland from Switzerland through Moscow, Siberia, Mongolia, Beijing, um, and then out to Hong Kong. And uh, I fell in love with China. And uh, I ended up going back to Europe, get my MBA, um, fell in love with the internet, and then I rode a bicycle through Africa. That's a whole different story. But now I've been in China for 24 years, four in Hong Kong, my 20th year in Beijing, uh, despite the fact that I'm now three months Shanghai in Bali from, from Beijing. Um, but these days it's a, a nice place to be in Groundhog Day. And uh, yeah, I've um, been part of eight startups during that time in China, three as an executive in private companies that went public. And then I started five companies and I exited three to publicly listed companies. Um, two were uh, solidly in the, the loss column. Uh, but I've been involved with 50 other companies, uh, a little bit more than four or five dozen companies in the war room as a board member, angel, um, and uh, hundreds of others as a mentor. Um, I'm a mentor of China Accelerator and also uh, Stanford Ignite and uh, the 500 startups and hacks uh, down in Shenzhen Hardware Accelerator. So I really am uh, all about the art of the start. And I teach at the top two universities in China, um, Tsinghua um, and uh, Peking University, I teach entrepreneurship in China and I teach innovation. And I've also started teaching at Alibaba University. Um, Jack Ma has a big, hairy, audacious goal to teach 1 million entrepreneurs around the world in the next five years. And I teach a spirit of entrepreneurship there. Um, and uh, yeah, I just love the art of the start and all of the messiness around that. Uh, I think that we have one of your peers in, in the show recently, uh, Jeffrey Townsend has been uh, on the show as well. I think it's oh, uh, Peking University professor. Yeah, that guy is a, uh, a sharp cookie. Amazing, amazing. So the world is is really um, small. Uh, amazing career. And just to give some context to um, to the audience, 
we we have started uh, at the Skill Up Valley podcast covering the journey from 1 million to 100 million. Um, we have also expanded this, um, this, this horizon or this kind of scale from 100 million to 1, 1B, uh, having examples of um, Dropbox, um, Quatrix, ServiceNow on, on the show. And recently we have been, dis been discussing how to go from 1B to 1.3 with companies as Bayer, Covestro, um, etc. Uh, okay. Right, so very different kinds of scale. We are super obsessed about scale. What I love about having you on the show is that you have been covering uh, different stages of, of, of this scale as an operator, also as an investor, as an angel investor. Uh, you also are in love with, uh, with advisory, with teaching. So you have a, a very eclectic uh, profile to share your experience about uh, scaling companies. You also- Master of none. <laughs> and, and if I may get it out of the way, I have failed in all of those pursuits uh, many, many times, probably more than all of your listeners combined. So I get that going. I, I will massage a little bit your ego, your egos. Some of the most successful people in the world always say that they have failed like L and they had luck. <laughs> I don't sugarcoat it anymore. I don't even try to, yeah. So it's all just <laughs> on, on my sleeve, messy. It's all, yeah. yeah. It's a badge. It's like a coat of armor. Got it. It's like and calluses and scar tissue like armor. And now I just help other people go into battle, more or less. Got it. Let, let's just uh, share practical issues. Um, you told me in previous conversations that you have um, lived the previous uh, virus crisis in in China. So you have more experience with this kind of uh, issues than, uh, for instance, in Europe or in the US uh, we have. Um, and you you also have a lot of understanding about that context. So what what can you share for with business leaders, with entrepreneurs, with founders uh, that are trying to prepare uh, and get ready to scale up during this crisis, but are to prepare to, to scale after the, the post-war uh, period. Uh, what, what happens in a daily basis and what are the trends that you see when a, a virus like this, this emerges? Yeah, so I'll say a few things about that. I was in China during the uh, SARS epidemic, um, 0203, really flared up in uh, March, and then by June it was gone. Um, but everything was shut down. Um, Hong Kong up to Beijing. And uh, I think the bordering countries also uh, had a bit of a, a shock and a scare. You know, less than 2,000 people died, tragic, but you know, it was under control. And I think now these countries in this part of the world, they understand it much more fundamentally than I think um, countries in the West. And you can and that is uh, very evident in the responses that we've seen, and you know the, yeah. uh, you know, the, the the fact that the U.S. now is the biggest death rate, right? It's it's such a such a tragedy, and I think you know things are getting back to abnormal in China, um, but that's because China is fully locked down; nobody's allowed in anymore, and they have um, the entire society was locked down, and they were totally aligned, and people wear masks, and they do social distancing. And uh, there's a, a WeChat uh, app 
So yeah, you have a yep. barcode, you know, green, yellow, or, or red, depending on, on your status. And I think that the West is not going to be able to, um, to be able to replicate that. I think just as there are going to be some people that like, you know what, I've had this already. I have an immunity to it. I get back to work. There's going to be some countries that are like, we got this and now we're getting back to work but there's going to be some that, that uh, are, are not really able to. And I, I don't know. I only play an epidemiologist on TV. I'm, I, I, I'm not. Who knows? As they say in Chinese. Who really knows? Nobody, nobody knows anything. But I'm, I'm planning on 2022. That's when things get back to, to normal. I, I, I think start to get back to abnormal. I just... I just don't see any other way out with any sort of treatment. You know, I, I hope I'm totally wrong, but my, my personal planning for what I'm doing is I'm working remotely until 2022. It doesn't mean that there's no business or, you know, I, I, I believe there's plenty of opportunity to scale up. And I'm actually advising and coaching an ed tech company uh, right now. Uh, I know the founder um, and he came to me and he's like, you know what, we're, we're kind of drowning. We're, we're 4X because of this. Amazing. Right? And I have another buddy, also EdTech. Um, uh, you know, the, the company that I'm helping out is called IUKOS. It's a, um, uh, a tutoring and pathway company um, uh, based in the UK, but they have a, a you know, great growth in China where people pay 3X what the West does on their kids. Wow. for. And then another company called Picatail. Um, where they have a thousand books online, started in China by a terrific uh, Norwegian entrepreneur. And uh, they're also getting pulled from the market and e-commerce and gaming the same. So there's plenty of companies now that are going to be buoyed up by this. And the companies that aren't, or that have cash in the bank, I mean, I love that article by Mark Andreessen, you know, this week, talking about it's time to build. This is the time to build product, product, product. And there have been amazing companies that have been built in a downturn. And uh, there's a lot of opportunity around that. And then on the personal level, you know, I have to say, I've been, I, I've kind of been in the future in a way because I was heavily hit. My businesses in China, I have a number of different investments and also other businesses that I run around entrepreneurship and learning. So I have these learning journeys where I bring out experts uh, to China to do deep dives in, in special industries. And I curate and run those and bring in amazing experts, um, you know, boards of companies and, you know, family offices, billionaire family offices from South America, wherever. And they have a very um, high impact, high value, three to seven days. Those are all dead. And those are probably dead till the end of next year. And then I also bring in experts to teach people and train people because I love um, exchanging knowledge, that business is dead. And I'm also do professional public speaking. And I consider that to be dead unless I can really make it work online, but that's not going to be quite the same. So I've, I've had to kind of re, re, uh, calibrate how I'm, how I'm personally, you know, generating revenue and what I'm investing in and what I'm getting involved with. Um, so I went through this sort of denial and, you know, leaving mm -hmm. here, right? but now I my wife and I are both committed to the fact that we are going to emerge from this crisis absolutely better versions of ourselves on, on 
every axis, every metric, like our sleep, diet, exercise, meditation, journaling, even connecting with friends. In some ways, I've been more connected with people through this isolation because I'm being very deliberate and reaching out to people. Hey, old college friend. Hey, old you know colleague. Hey, old childhood friend. And then also to other entrepreneurs and people just saying, hey, how can I help? Um, so I, and I'm also really focusing on how I can be best in class of doing stuff remotely and, and, and being helpful to people remotely. So I think, you know, that's, that's really the only way forward um, through this crisis. And the one thing that I would love to teach my students is the philosophy of stoicism. And stoicism is not, well, philosophy is kind of inaccessible and very theoretical, but I think stoicism is sort of a handbook for life. And the, the really the fundamental core concept that I like to focus on is that nothing is in your control. Nothing is in your control except for two things. There's so little that is in your control. You know, the, the market is not in your control. Your competitors are not in your control. Your, even, even your employees, they're not in your control. Mm -hmm. your, um, outcomes are not under your control. The only two things you control is your effort and your attitude your action and your reaction. Those are the only things you control and you control them a thousand percent. So therefore, if those are the only two things that you can control, then what are you doing every day to make yourself 1% better you know, in those two areas to sharpen the ax, so to speak, so that you're much better at intentionally acting and being in control of your reaction. And I think that it's really about a lot of self-care, um, both physical and mental and social, to be able to be the best version of yourself. Because I see, you know, I've been part of this entrepreneurs organization and I've been part of so many startups, you know, either loosely or directly. Mm -hmm. And startup is a beautiful, beautiful crucible in which to test oneself. And it's very easy to become the shittiest, worst version of yourself just <laughs> destroy your sleep destroy your body have the you know i remember talking to a guy once and he's like what i'm not gonna acquire users that way that's all just horrific empty calories those users i might acquire them but they're just gonna jump away while he was just jamming on a triple burger that was like with stuff running down his face and i was like have you been 30 kilos since I first knew you. It's like, aren't, are, why are you jamming such horrible calories? If you take care of yourself first, put on your air mask first before you take care of other people. So I'll, I'll stop there. But what I, what I really, I'm talking to people now is about like, you can, you really can control how you react to this and you can control how you intentionally act. You know, after that, you can control your output and then the outcome takes care of itself. You can't control it, but you can just learn from it and then rinse, repeat, and try to be better. I I love it. We we only discuss the pre-critical ingredients that we keep creating uh, with our guests on the show, uh, uh, like you, Rich. Which is um, first one, radical focus. Number two, world-class leadership, and number three, uh, culture of uh, execution. And it's curious that you have covered uh, almost the free <laughs> just our uh, first uh, comments. And I love the way you, you painted it. So, so 
entrepreneurship or leading a company, uh, the first thing we need to do is leading ourselves. And leading ourselves is the most difficult job that we have uh, in our lives, getting to know uh, ourselves, talking to, to ourselves. So if we are not able, as you said, to take care uh, of ourselves, we can't help others to, um, to do the same. So I, I love the yeah. concept. I may shameless self-plug, like that's the, um, I'm starting a podcast around that specifically and also writing my first book um, around that, around that, that mental, because it all starts up here, the mental challenge. Um, we think that we're fighting a war out there, like we're like Game of Thrones, the finale, like we're up in the mountain and we have dragons and giants and, you know, all <laughs> The troops and we're trying to like oh there's some competitors and there's you know storm clouds or you know but really there's also a battle between these two holes and that's the other we're, we're fighting two battles at the same time and this battle in this arena doesn't get talked about as much i talked to young entrepreneurs like how's it going how's it going it's oh wow i mean it's just up and to the right it's just great <laughs> right but no, but like really, how's it going? Oh, I mean, you know, it could be going better, but it's pretty, pretty good. <laughs> exactly. No, but really, really, how's it? How, how's how's it really going, buddy? It's this is me. I knew you from. How's it really going, Rich? Mommy, my mom. Make it stop. Make it stop. I didn't know it so all-encompassingly. I didn't know. I thought it was supposed to be awesome everywhere. It just sucks everywhere and I don't know what to do. Right. And like that, that doesn't like and the crazy thing is like that doesn't go away. It's, you know, I, I, I got to know Phil Libin, the founder of Evernote when they were coming into China and, you know, a little bit in their China strategy and he, he raised a whole bunch of money. And, um, I was like, how, how's that? How's that feel? And he's like, how's that? How's that feel? He's like, now I, <laughs> Made my backpack heavier, and they're like, "Run faster, right?" <laughs> so, oh, now it's okay, right? And then you know, and, and a lot of people say, "Well, okay, you sell the company, and then, then you can." And I'm just like, "Are you kidding me?" Most people that I know that become the most depressed is after they've sold the company. <laughs> oh, oh my god! Now what? That was I'm gonna do that again, or like I don't even know. So it's like it just it just never. So it's that whole battle in your brain. It's not just like, oh my God, I'm failing. It's like, oh my God, I'm succeeding. And I just raised all this money. I, I have a buddy who's like, I raised all this money. And I, the reason I raised this money is because I know that I have to hire people better than myself. And I did that, right? But now I raised so much money and the expectations are so high that now I have to hire people that are so good that they're going to go, Oh, we're working for this shithead? Like, I don't even, they're going to actually really see me for what I am, right? Just to complete. And like, he's like, now, and like, I have no choice. I have to like, I have to hire people that, that are just going to understand that I don't really understand cash flow accounting or that I'm not so great at the tech side or I'm, I don't really know much about marketing. That I'm just making this up as I go. And Absolutely. well, it happens, right? So. Absolutely. That, that's two very good points. First, first one is we have all been facing or we, we might be facing uh, this in our lives 
is that sometimes uh, our businesses are a way of distracting ourselves with something about something that we want to solve within ourselves. So it's yes. a it's a distraction. So that, that's when we feel this kind of lack of, <laughs> lack of fulfillment, right? So so when when you say we exit the company and now who I am, what do I do? Because mm. I, I don't want to talk to myself. I don't want to see myself in the mirror. I don't want to know, to not know what to do uh, tomorrow, to make a decision about my future, about my purpose. And the second thing that you, that you talk that is critical that you have been discussing a lot on the show is that the, the most important muscle to startup is sales, but the, the most important muscle to scale up is recruiting, is having the right people on the right seats and much better than ourselves. And that's another issue. Right? Which is really also selling. Um, yeah, sales cures everything. Correct. <laughs> really amazing how much of a sap, how, how much uh, dysfunction it can sort of cover over as well too. But uh, yeah, I think, I think the recruiting side, like that's really something that is um, uh, so core. Um, that, I, that I've seen, um, especially for companies to be able to, to pop through past those, uh, past those barriers, right? And, and one of the toughest parts about that is not having the people that have gotten you to that point who can't, who just can't go any, any farther, um, you know, moving them to a different position or out of the company or, or keeping them where they are while other people go above them, right? And that's a really tough thing to do. It's almost like you're leaving somebody behind, um, you know, when you're when you're you know on a, on a trek somewhere, um, and you're kind of abandoning them. But that's that's a, that's that's not the case. You're not doing anybody any favors if you're bringing them, you know, to the top of the mountain that they can't. They're going to die on the way up, or they're going to die on the way down. Right. So much better to leave in the basement. I I love it. Um... And to, there are two main goals for the conversation, as, as we said in, in with, uh, when we started, is leveraging your experience uh, of being 12 weeks ahead and also your experience with the previous crisis uh, in China regarding with virus, virus mm -hmm. the 02, 03, uh, SARS. And, and the second one is also to explore, uh, I would say free, to explore all your journey. I, I love this conversation about dealing with ourselves and understanding that entrepreneurship is all about uh, a relationship with, with ourselves and it goes uh, to the limit. And number three is what you have already touched uh, several times in this show is your experience all over the world and in China. So you understand the mindsets of the majority of, of the entrepreneurs um, globally. And going to the point of radical focus, uh, everyone, even in Southeast Asia or India, is discussing what is the right timing to go to China. Is, is it distracting me? Is it the right, sh do I have the resources? Should I go mm -hmm. to China? Sh so explore a little bit more your thoughts on uh, founders and leaders that are considering uh, from any part of the world, even Southeast Asia, considering to move into China, uh, what they need to know in order to see if it is the timing or not. Uh, for them to export China. Fantastically attractive markets, you know. Um, there are nine, approaching 900 million users, e-commerce market, uh, biggest in the world, and the biggest you know, gaming company and music companies in the world are there in China under Tencent. And you know, there's so many superlatives and there's so much 
uh, innovation happening there. Um, however, China market is kind of like that cave in Indiana Jones in the first movie where he's going into <laughs> He's trying to get that gold idol. Everybody wants the gold idol, right? I could sell one tube of toothpaste to every Chinese person. I'd be a bazillionaire, right? <laughs> wow, the China market. And so he goes into the cave and he sees skeletons and just fresh corpses. And that's kind of like foreign companies going into China. There's, you know, the skeletons of old, like Yahoo and MSN and AOL and even Google and, you know, LinkedIn and so many other, you know, big, big players that have just been crushed in the China market. And even if you can get to the gold idol and you get the gold idol, then the big rock comes and that's pretty much the market, you know, trying to kill you. And then if you actually do make it past that, you get out of the cave and then and then the locals just take it away from you, right? And then basically you're you're on the plane on the way back home with with snakes, but those snakes are actually the demons going around in your head because you're like, I'm gonna tell my board that I lost in China, right? And there, there's very few um, examples of success in China. There, there are some, there's certainly some, um, and there's a number of reasons for that. Um, the main reasons people think is that, you know, it's a giant copycat culture um, and also Big Brother um, makes it, you know, difficult or impossible to win. Um, both, of those are, both of those are partially true. There were 7,000 Groupon clones um, that came out of China. 7,000, not, not 70 or 700, right? Um, wow. And there's, you know, there's a great firewall of China. So Twitter and, you know, Facebook and, you know, many other Googles is all, is all, is all blocked in China. Um, so it's a non-starter for those companies. But even the companies that do have access, it doesn't mean um, that they um, have an easy street to success. The, the, the two threads that I have seen in China, especially over the last half decade, um, you know, Big Brother, Copycat, yes, that's there, it's true. Um, but it's gladiatorial, insane competition and true innovation. And the innovation is oftentimes not necessarily technological innovation, but kind of business model innovation. Um, and even companies that have done that, that you know, eBay, for instance, um, bought the number one player in China back during the SARS uh, epidemic. And um, they paid, you know, a couple hundred million for this one company, Uchnet. And Jack Ma, you know, founder of Alibaba, richest man in China, famously said, eBay is a shark in the ocean, but we, Alibaba, we are a crocodile in the Yangtze. So a shark swims into the Yangtze River, a crocodile will just, you know, make lunch out of it, right? It doesn't, it can't navigate. And there are so many uh, cultural uh, and um, just societal uh, challenges of, of, of doing things in China. It's not to say that it can't be done. I was actually impressed. I met Travis, the founder of uh, Uber, um, when yep. he first came to China looking around. And he kind of seemed like a Chinese um, entrepreneur to me because he said something while he was walking around the boardroom table in my little tiny startup 
office. He's like, what if we get sued? Because we've been sued 101 times and we've only lost once. And if we get sued, it's good PR. And I was like, wow, I hear all the Chinese entrepreneurs are like, how do I get Tencent or Baidu or, you know, Alibaba or, you know, one of these other big players to like, to sue me? Because it's like, then I'm like, you know, in the press with these big guys, right? And <laughs> they raised $2 billion for China and they ended up having to leave, but they left with a stake in D. And there's no way that the Chinese government was ever going to allow a, a, a company controlling travel to even if it was, you know, just uh, consumer travel to, um, you know, uh, urban travel to, to, to be successful. But, you know, that, that, that's a win, right? Another win is Yahoo put a billion dollars into Alibaba and they gave all their assets, which is probably worth two, three, four hundred million dollars that they had built. They gave up on China. Um, and then that turned into 17 billion dollars because they basically were just folded into a bigger player, right? Um, and there's other examples of gaming companies that have been successful in China, um, World of Warcraft and, and others, because they had a moat, because they had this really defensible position. And, and there's also other examples of some technology companies. Like if you go into China, you have to really think, can somebody else do this without, without you? And if they can, then, you might as well just, you know, have some really good food and go visit the Great Wall in the Forbidden City and go home, right? <laughs> you have to have an unfair, and, and, and entrepreneurship in general, you have to have an unfair advantage. It's not a fair fight. And especially in China, if there's a, if there's a way for somebody to, you know, uh, either reduce the feature set and then just launch with a really simple feature set, or do a freemium, or there's a way to do it so that they can copy it and then, um, you know, just launch it in a, in, a, in, a, in a shittier, but like, you know, still feasible way, they'll do that. Or, or if there's a way to, you know, just outright, you know, replicate this, um, sometimes, unfortunately, through IP theft, then, 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 then that will happen. But if you're able to actually create something um, that is really defensible um, and follows the number one rule of entrepreneurship, make something that people want, then, then certainly, you know, then, then, then there, there, are, um, there are examples, especially now kind of in some enterprise software, you know, that's, that's happening, but that might shut down because of more political than technical reasons. But, you know, there, there still are possibilities. You're, like education is one, there's a, you know, and gaming is another, where you're bringing in like Western sensibilities or, or some kind of forms of entertainment. But, you know, um, you always have to, uh, you always have to, uh, stay, stay fresh. Um, you know, I, I know that, uh, the, um, CEO of Audi and, um, uh, you know, Daimler was, you know, saying that, um, yeah, you know, China's kind of a copycat place, but it's also one of the most, uh, it's probably the most important crucible of innovation right now. So we're going to be in China. We're going to we're going to invest in China and we're going to uh, innovate in China. And then that can inform the rest of the world. People want to copy us, then great. Then they'll be a year behind. Otherwise, if we're just like, we're not going to go to China because then we're just going to get copied. And we're also not going to engage in that market because it's really challenging and difficult. Then you're, you're really losing a step. Like I really, I think the one thing that can be really learned, learned from China um, is the speed. The speed and the pace of China is just, unbelievably relentless. Peace and pulse of change 
And that's something I think within innovation cycles, you know, within recruitment, you know, I love, you know, your, your users should, should uh, Google this one presentation um, by this uh, terrific entrepreneur named Mike Cassidy. He's at Four Exits and he was at Google and he has a presentation. It's, it's about a decade old, but it's about speed, but it's still so relevant. And he talks about even when you're recruiting to have this sense of deep urgency. You know, I often show this video from uh, this um, uh, uh, movie um, where Brad Pitt plays, um, uh, oh my God, I'm zoning, the guy with the, the feathers on the feet. Um, he's a, a Greek, a Greek god. Um, I never know the names, but I'm, but I'm following you. <laughs> you know, like, he, yeah, yeah, there's a scene where there's two armies and he is uh, Achilles, Achilles, um, he's super fast. And then he's fighting against a guy named Boagrius, uh, played by the mountain guy from, you know, uh, Game of Thrones. And the two heads of the, of the um, uh, army say, all right, your best guy against our best guy. Whoever wins, we all go home to our wives and we get drunk. And so this guy is gigantic. He's, 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 he's impossible to beat, this gigantic warrior. But Brad Pitt, as Achilles, runs directly at him. He throws a, a spear into his uh, shield, throws it away, throws a spear at his head, he dodges it, and then he puts his sword right here through his, through his heart, and the guy dies, um, and it's over. And the point there is that if you're fighting a much bigger foe, speed is the one thing that you have against um, all other um, existing large incumbent players or even your competitors who are also startups. And to be able to infuse that sense of speed, because I've seen so many companies die just because their development cycle or the recruitment cycle or their fundraising cycle, they were just, I was just, oh, I just need one more. I was almost, oh. Like there's this Jerry Seinfeld bit where he's like, how about the guys that, that train for their entire life, they go to the Olympics and they lose in one-tenth of a second. They're like, oh, I couldn't put my belt on, right? And like, <laughs> what could done? You could think like, wow, what could I have done to just be a little bit speedier and to, to really just have this better sense of urgency to make things move just a little bit faster. And sometimes that, you know, that is the, the, the one thing that just unlocks a lot of other, other things uh, in the future. So that can really be learned, I think, uh, from, uh, from China is sort of like pacing how, how things are done. Love it. Uh, we had David Hartman on the show as well, uh, Senior VP of Growth Ventures at Covestro, uh, former buyer, material science. And when I asked him, so how, how to go from a wartime uh, mindset to a peacetime mindset and how to prepare, and I said, you know what, I, when I've been thinking about this question, uh, I thought that we have always been in wartime in China. So, and that, that's what you have just explained in, in the previous uh, minute. So there is no wartime and peacetime in China. So this is so oh, competitive, brutal. so brutal. Uh, like I go to Silicon Valley and I love it, but you know, there I feel like the competition is definitely intense, but there's also this element of like, let's change the world or let's do something cool or let's, you know, co-opetition. In China, mm, it's not enough. <laughs> you must lose as well too, right? It is just absolutely just uh, intense, and I think that's something that really needs to be you know, un understood about that market. And up to now, China has been very um, 
very focused on its, you know, domestic growth. Because every year I was there, when I got there in 96, there was you know, more internet users in Hong Kong than there were in China. It was less than a million. There was no, there were no ISPs. It was government and academic workers, right? But in the last 24 years, every year they just added tens and tens of millions. So it's, uh, there's been plenty to bite off and chew there now, right? But the challenge is they're still adding another, you know, couple hundred million users, but those are the users on the, the lower rung of the, of the earning capacity. So they're, they're going outside. I'll, I'll give you an example. I take people to Jinru Tokyal, and they're the parents of TikTok. I was there in 2018, 2,500 employees, pretty, pretty, pretty good sized company. The company was five years old. Um, I have a friend who's a Lawai, like a foreigner, the first foreigner. Uh, mm -hmm. She was hired, went to visit her. Um, they had two, three offices in China. It was 2018. Today, 100,000 employees, 200 offices. Wow. profit. And everybody knows TikTok. Like that's, that's what's coming at, at you, rest of the world. And a lot yeah. of people have any idea that TikTok is Chinese. And the, the founder is a very um, introverted, you know, just sort of heads down engineer type. Um, he couldn't, he couldn't get arrested. He couldn't get funded seven years ago. Nobody believed they, they started doing uh, an, AI, an AI product for news. That's what junior total means. It means like, you know, daily hot headlines or whatever. Right. Um, and uh, he knew that a lot of people were reading news, but nobody had optimized news reading with AI. So being able to recommend articles, like use recommendation engines for, for most other things, he was able to increase people's time reading news from an hour to two to three to four hours a day. And then use AI also to write articles for the last Olympics. And they were publishing articles seven seconds after the event ended um, with full articles that were grammatically correct and totally fine. And they were all written by AI. And, you know, and they, and they have 40 other products right now. Their development cycle, the speed and churning of development of their game, that's what's behind TikTok. And then they've allowed TikTok to be totally localized in all these different markets. They've learned from all the pain of foreign companies coming into China about how they can best go into other markets, even though it's more Here's the main mistake people make. Oh, I want somebody who's, you know, maybe from my office who can go to that country. Or I want to be any guy with a good haircut and a handshake who studied in the West. Um, but you need local, local, local people who have had their whole career there who are just like going to chew through barbed wire and make stuff happen, right? And it's so much nicer and easier to communicate with country heads when they're acculturized and they speak your language. They have people that don't, most people don't even speak Chinese in that company now. And it's just around the world. And, and they, they deal with that messiness because that's a much better to deal with that messiness to scale up than it is to actually uh, you know, have, have a controlled, comfortable environment that's just not working. It's just failing locally, right? Absolutely. This is amazing. This is Rich Robinson. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you, you're talking about a, a podcast and the book that you are working on. Uh, can you share a little bit more about that before we close the show? I, I haven't really, I just started talking about it uh, this month. Um, but 
if I don't launch it during this COVID crisis, then how can I ever look myself in the mirror again? I got to use this as some you know interesting time to start new things. It's called imposterpreneur. So Love it. the imposter syndrome that people have is is normal, right? Uh, every, every, nobody doesn't really have it unless you're maybe running America, then maybe you don't have it. Right? Right. <laughs> He's the one guy that doesn't have it, maybe. But um, uh, I think especially as an entrepreneur, and I'm talking about, you know, there's, there's entrepreneurship, but there's also innovation-driven entrepreneurship, IDE, which is really, I'm doing something that is by definition never been done before. And most likely outcome is failure. So that means it probably can't be done, right? But yet, yet, not only do I have normal imposter syndrome that everybody else has, and not only do I have all the normal challenges of being an entrepreneur, now I have this third level of like, ah, yeah, this can work. Like, let's go, let's do this, right? <laughs> just like losing your mind, right? I, 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 I just know, I'm 53 this year, I'm on the wrong side of 50. And I'm basing this book and I'm writing the book through the podcast to get, I'm basing the book on the fact of this incredible dichotomy, incredible kind of um, uh, just, you know, it's, it's just night and day. These young entrepreneurs that read and they're just like, oh, it's so, I follow my passion and everything is awesome. And I'm riding my unicorn to work to my cool co-working space and the unicorn is farting rainbows of glitter and I don't have, I can wear flip-flops and bring my dog to work and we're changing the world, yay, right? And then I <laughs> people who are like year seven, you know, and they have three kids and they're, you know, a little bit fatter and just uh, not sleeping well and, you know, their spouse, maybe their husband is not so happy with them not being around as much and, you know, they kind of wish that they were in a different place or, you know, in, their, in the level of their company or their company's going so great. They're like, oh man, I didn't know it was going to be this long. Now I have to travel even more and put more time into it. Or, <laughs> kind of mental challenge of like, or I'm a first time entrepreneur and like now I've been through the trough of sorrow, the trough of sorrow. And now I'm like, wow, I'm really struggling. Like, am I really doing the right thing? And like, my uncle, who I just saw at Thanksgiving, invested a quarter of a million of his savings into this. And I don't know now if it's going to work. And my college roommate just quit. And wow, I, I've never failed before ever in my life. I've been like a, you know, Ivy League, you know, whatever. And now it's like all encompassing failure, right? So it's like that imposterpreneur is really not, it's not just about failure. It's about really dealing with like your mindset through the, 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 the good and the bad, and how normal that is, how that's really the default setting, but people don't talk about that that much. And I just wanna have raw, authentic conversations about people really suffering through that, that FUD, that fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and how they dealt with it, or how they didn't deal with it, how they wish they had dealt with it, you know, and, uh, now they're doing it a different way, right? So, I mean, that, that, that's sort of like real, not just failure porn about like, I raised 80 million bucks and I blew the whole thing up, right? And like, there's <laughs> so much learning around that, although there may be, right? But like, I, I really want to get into this whole sort of, you know, 
just lift this off and like look inside. So if you have any uh, listeners who are interested to uh, bear their soul or share some tips, you know, you can put my contact in the show notes and, um, and I'll send you a link to that, that video as well, that speed video and also the link that Mike Cassidy. Um, That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. And Richard, we came to the last question of the show and we expanded the length of the show because it was so much interesting stuff that I was not able to resist to the temptation. Uh, so let's go for the final question, which, <laughs> which is if you would have the opportunity to meet yourself 24 years ago when you traveled to China, uh, what advice would you offer to your younger self? Meditate. Perfect. But my, my 24 year old self was like from the bitter soil of Boston. I don't know if you've ever seen Goodwill Hunting. Like I, I went to high school in like Southern Dorchester, right? Where like really like, you know, when, when, when Matt Damon is being psychoanalyzed and he's just playing, you know, I, my, my grandparents from Ireland, I grew up Irish, you know, Irish Catholic Bostonian kid. And like, I think Freud said the only people that are immune to uh, psychoanalysis are, are the Irish, right? And, uh, <laughs> I dual citizenship with Ireland, but like, I know, I know in my bone marrow that meditation is an absolute superpower, um, but I would not have been receptive in my 20s to that. I would have go, I would have told this bald loser to go himself, right? Um, so that's the thing is that you, you gotta be ready for the message. Um, Transcendental Meditation, tm.org. I did a Vipassana 10 day retreat, um, the kind of retreats that um, uh, Jack from, uh, Jack Dorsey from Twitter has done. Um, amazing 10 days, uh, no phone, no computer, no reading, no writing, no eye contact, talking, no body language, no gestures, just in your head for 10.5 hours a day of meditation. Um, that's great, but that's certainly not sustainable. The TM, Transcendental Meditation, absolute superpower to unlock the best version of yourself. You know, I love the book Principles by Ray Dalio. Yeah, very good Ray, one. You know, the book, the, the TV show Billions, there's a big meditation uh, component. There's a meditation room there and it's based on him because he's the biggest proponent. He runs the biggest hedge fund in the world, 160 billion, there's 11,000 of them, the most successful hedge fund in the world. He's one of the top 50 most richest men in the planet. And he spends 40 minutes a day meditating. That guy's probably got better things to do at this time if he doesn't feel that that's giving him. And he directly attributes his success. You know, meditation is one of those things. And it just gives clarity. It gives focus. It allows me to, I think for me, best of all, as a mood regulator. Because I see, you know, if you're doing, you know, anything that you're scaling something up, you're just going to lose your mind. Like there's just, there's just no, there's just no way that you're not going to just be like sleep deprived or just really pissed off about something because things just spiral out of control. Right. And your ability to, to control your reaction is so powerful because I see one of the biggest problems with startups is they don't get killed. They don't get murdered. They die from suicide because people usually blow up and have founder conflict. 
And I'm like, put that time in. Put that time in to be centered, get the clarity, get the focus, but also to be able to like, when your amygdala just goes, what? Like, I want to murder you, what? Like, anger is never good. Ever, 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 ever in a startup, ever, ever. Like, nobody's ever like, I'm so glad that guy got angry. I'm like, well, Steve Jobs got angry. You're not Steve Jobs. Nobody's Steve Jobs, right? Like, if you're really an asshole and you get angry, like, you're people really rooting for you to, like, fail. And you need all the help you can get to get people on your side. Meditation is an insanely powerful tool. 20 minutes as soon as you get up, 20 minutes in the afternoon. And I, you know, you can get certified in four days. And it's like two hours day one, one hour day two and three, and 30 minutes day four. And you are officially handed a mantra and it's up to you to put your butt in that cushion. And it is the best investment that I make in, in my life. Love it. And just adds off to our team that is working so hard during this 130 plus uh, episodes and I've never praised them in public. So for Alex, Charlie, and Mary, and, and, and Sarah as well, uh, thank you, Rich. Uh, I would love to see this this quote of, of Rich when we release the podcasts about uh, the majority of scale-ups don't uh, die by murder. They die because they commit suicide. I, yes. I love it. Uh, that's a very good one. Rich, thank you so much for joining us on the show. It was really a pleasure to host you and you are always welcome uh, because there is so much more to talk and to share. That's right. Hey, I'm gonna start doing some, in 2022, I'm going to do like entrepreneur retreats in Bali so people can come here and refresh and do deep dives. So maybe I'll see you here then. Absolutely. Absolutely. Perfect. Uh, and to our community, thanks for being there. We keep bringing you the best of the best so you can have the best tools possible to scale up during the crisis or to be even better prepared with the best version of yourself to scale up after the crisis. Stay healthy and keep scaling. Mm -hmm.